So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast-track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash startalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'm an astrophysicist and director of New York City's Hayden Planetarium. And today's subject let there be light. Joining me as my co-host is Lynn Coplitz. Lynn, welcome back to Star Talk Radio. Hello, You're a founding co-host of mine on this program. That's right. And welcome back. Thank you. It's exciting to be back. I know. You think about light all the time. This whole show is on light. And what we would otherwise call the electromagnetic spectrum, but it's light to most people. But to the astrophysicist, light is not just like the colors of the rainbow. Roy mm-hmm. G. Bibb. Have you heard of Roy G. Bibb? Of course. I don't know what you've heard of. I'm not special needs. Okay, I'm can you recite them? You're not special needs. <laughs> Red, orange, yellow, indigo, blue, violet. What happened to green? Well, that's obvious. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's the G. Right. Red, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. That's the visible part of the electromagnetic spectrum. I didn't but, know there was a pop quiz. <laughs> and then it goes in either direction. So you go beyond the red. Beneath the red, it's infrared. Infra means less than back when they first laid this out. You can't see infrared. And you go beyond infrared, you get to microwaves and radio waves. We've all heard of these. Maybe you didn't know it was part of the family of light that we call the electromagnetic spectrum. And you come out the other side, beyond violet, <laughs> get, what do you find there? Beyond violet? Yes. Uh, headache? <laughs> ultraviolet. And they go beyond oh. ultraviolet, x-rays, and then gamma rays. There's the entire electromagnetic spectrum, and the astrophysicist is an expert in each of these bands, and the universe talks to us in each one of those bands telling us something different. But what we should do is sort of start off with... The- I know. I'm going to be patient, because I don't understand half of what you just said. <laughs> let's start out. Let's see what Bill lost Nye... Me at bands. Let's see if we can get Bill Nye to just sort of warm us up with just uh, an encounter with what our telescopes do for the universe. We're on the radio. What better time to ponder what we cannot see? If you start counting, you'd say you see a lot of things. Tiny things like pistols between petals of petunias. And big things like fantastically faraway stars. But now try the eyepiece of an instrument. A telescope. The moon's not smooth. It's a mess. Those aren't just bright dots. They're worlds with rings and weather. Some of the dots aren't just worlds. They're galaxies full of worlds. And so far, we've just talked about rays of light visible to human eyes. It turns out that even though we see thousands and millions and billions of things, 
we hardly see the energy of the universe at all. Visible light waves and microwaves and x-rays and cosmic rays, even heat waves are manifestations of both electricity and magnetism at the same time. Electromagnetism. It radiates all over the place, or places, all over space, the universe. By building remarkable instruments to detect all these wavelengths of electromagnetic energy, we discovered planets, stars, and galaxies. Now as we build better and better instruments, we found that we don't know the half of it, actually about the 94% of it. We've detected a great deal of energy from vast reaches of space, but there just has to be so much we don't yet see. Let's look into the sky and stay tuned. For Star Talk Radio, I'm Bill Nye, the science guy. Bill Nye, always telling it like it is. Lynn, welcome with me, one of our guests tonight. We have cool guests today, <laughs> we, and they're all here. And they're all here in studio. First up in this segment is Michael Benson. Michael, welcome to Star Talk Radio. Hey, how you doing? Thanks now, for having me. How do I characterize you as like a journalist, a photographer, a photojournalist, a astronaut? Because everything you write about and everything you publish books on is about the universe. Yeah, the answer is yes. That's how you can characterize me. Thank <laughs> you very much. An astro photo nut journalist. An astro nut photo journalist. I first I first met you uh, many years ago. Uh, I think you were preparing one of your earlier books called Far Out. Was that one of them, or did the I? First, no, that was a, the first one. Was, the Far Out is the last one, mm -hmm. and that covers basically everything from just at the gates of our solar system all the way to the Big Bang. Okay, so this is a book where you have collected images together with narrative uh, that where you're just bringing the universe to the public. Okay? Yes, and then the first book was called Beyond, and that's the one you probably saw. Because Beyond. We collaborated a little to put a show up. I don't know if you remember. We put a show up at the uh, Hayden. No, Planetary. no, I do remember. So Beyond <laughs> Beyond was those were the space probes that then yes. put up, uh, got images of the planet. So I'm, I'm fortunate as an astrophysicist to have journalists who care about the universe, because then you get to do some of the work that we would otherwise otherwise try to do but would nece wouldn't necessarily succeed and you've been eminently successful at this beautiful books that you've published thank you so so what about the universe attracts you is it just because the stuff looks cool or and you're a photographer too so you know you think about light and what it does and how it and and there's a little bit of artist in you so you think about how light affects the viewer and i mean images. i like to think there's a lot of artists in me neil but um, okay. i'm just teasing you here right. um what about the universe attracts me that kind of question um it's almost impossible to answer that because everything is the universe, so anything that's attractive is the universe. But what about the universe attracts me? I mean, Whoa, I, you just blew my mind socks off. What, what? does that mean? <laughs> oh, my God. I, I think I did. I think I did. <laughs> No, he's saying even people sitting next to him is part of the universe. Well, that's part of the universe. So okay. images of him. Right. Okay. No, I mean, my universe um, is just my little universe. All right. Uh-huh. No, I don't know. It's probably, well, it's probably quite large. No, but um, what attracts me to the universe? I mean, um, I think that part of it, to be moderately serious here, is that, you know, in the last 50 years, um, we have seen things that everybody prior to 50 years ago could only dream of seeing, which is highly detailed images of all the planets, you know, um, of the solar system. And then also after the Hubble uh, was launched and so on, incredibly detailed pictures of, of the origin, you know, the beginnings of solar systems in Orion and this kind of thing. So my question is, how is it possible, really, for people not to be attracted? So when to you this? say beginnings of solar system in Orion, the constellation Orion has one of its stars is actually a region of the galaxy where stars are being born, and that's what you meant when well, you said... the Orion Nebula. The Orion Nebula, yes. a very famous place in the, in the solar system. A stellar nursery, in fact. And so, so, so all these places excite you, and so you 
you but you didn't take any of these pictures you assembled them from public sources right well thanks for pointing that out <laughs> I'm just, I, I was I mean, going to no. say wow what a CB what <laughs> a blocker yeah well, well no no I mean look so uh, what do we need you for uh it, well I'll tell you why, um, why did he invite you on the show? You know, I was wondering that, too, when I got the call, you know, but then I decided I would play eye. along. Right. I would play along with you guys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, part of it is that, um, uh, you know, it's true I didn't take uh, the individual shots. In fact, it's impossible. No human being has been in orbit of Jupiter, for example, or, or orbiting Saturn. But what I do yeah, that's right. do... Tell him. Tell him. Tell it like <laughs> it, it is. Yeah, tell it like it is, Michael. Pull the gloves off, take Michael. That, Don't Neil. take that from him. <laughs> take that, man. Um, he's no but, genius in here. He's just a guy. I'll hold him. You hit him. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think he's he's certainly I got know. elements of genius, you know? I mean, just well, the way I'll, all of us do. Pick but, okay. a side. Pick a side. Uh, I'm on your side, baby. Okay. Let me just say this, you know. Um, what I do is go into archives that have hundreds of thousands of, mm-hmm. of raw images, and I look for extraordinary frames, which I can then mosaic together. Uh, mosaic I, means they're they're... You tile them together and make a bigger picture exactly. than what the single image was. Yes, yeah. and I composite them to get color. And, and so, um, you know, I feel very much I – om- I feel almost authorial towards them because some of them really wouldn't exist if authorial. I had – Authorial. like I'm the author. Uh, okay, you, you know, Sorry. I feel, I, I, feel, I feel like the author of, of quite a number of them, even though, of course, anybody can go into the archives, and I encourage this very much to go into the archives. So of the point data. is anyone can do it. But they didn't. You did. Right. And so you then had the privilege of being the first in and therefore the first out with these beautiful books that you've published. I mean, I'll so tell you like a you story. you make a collage almost, but you put yeah. it all together. Yeah, I'll tell you a story. I mean, recently I had a show in Chelsea in, in my gallery, which is Hasted Krautler Gallery on West 24th Street. And um, because I had the deadline of February 3rd to have an opening, I went into the archives and I started digging in Cassini material. Cassini is the spacecraft orbiting Saturn right now. And I started looking for extraordinary images. Tons like of images, images are there. Yeah, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, found, um, I found these amazing images of the dark side of Saturn, which was not dark. It was not dark because there's so much indirect light bouncing off the rings and so on. And I put together a multiple-frame mosaic... And, and, you know, as it emerged in color and I made it seamless and everything, I had the very real sensation that I was the first human being to see... To see the backside of Saturn. To be see the, Yeah, to, you can put it that way. The backside <laughs> of Saturn. I saw the, the rear side of Saturn in a way. Um, you know, and I had this amazing f- sensation that, you know, I was a, a privileged person because I had done this. And then, of course, for me, part of the fun of it is to get it out there and... and sh- well, show, me, it, show it to people. Let yeah. me bring in my yeah. second of it's three. It's beautiful. Of, it is. It is. Uh, let me bring in my second of three guests. His name is Brian Abbott. Brian, welcome to Star Talk Radio. Your first appearance. Thank Correct. You, Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Brian, I, 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 you have to tell this to the audience. Tell me. Tell everyone because I know in advance. Tell everyone what it says on your business card. Is <laughs> what it is that you do. You are what. Well, I have a business card that reads Manager of the Digital Universe. Manager of the Digital Universe. That is so cool. That's like, <laughs> does that get you dates in the bar? Is that- it, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> it doesn't- it's better than Staple. <laughs> Manager of Staple. <laughs> so, so, Brian, you, you come to this, you have a, a, a huge science background, you're computer literate, and you put together data sets for the Hayden Planetarium that enables people to sort of... Uh, take journeys through those data. And so I do, what are some of your challenges collecting them scientifically? Because Michael Benson is, is, is mining the archives, and, and, and that's cool. But at the end of the day, there's still just photographs. 
still mm-hmm. photographs, two D photos. Sorry, just, Michael, just, I'm sorry. Just, just, yeah. So Brian, it's art too. It, yeah, it is art. It is art. But Brian, you take another dimension here. So where where do you well, take? That, it? But that's third, just th- another dimension. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's a hard dimension. You know, <laughs> astrophysicists have a hard time getting distances. Distances Taking is everything. Pictures of something in the night sky, seeing the the sort of two D sky, if you will, from Earth is great. The what but sky? Oh, two D. Two D. But getting distance to that object is very challenging. And once so, you get the distance, then you can create a journey through it, right? That's right. Uh, okay, so now now it's not just visible light data that you've got, because we've got telescopes in every band of light of the electromagnetic spectrum. We have ultraviolet telescopes and in, in, infrared tele we got a telescope in every band that we cannot see. So what do you do with those data? We show them. How do you show them if we can't see them? Well, that's the challenge. Actually, I know the answer to that question, but I want you to say it because you've got the title manager of the digital universe. How do you reconcile showing something that we should be seeing with our eyes visible, like the stars in the sky, with something that is invisible to our eyes? That's what I'm asking. Like? Yes, thank you, Lynn. What's invisible? Like microwave radiation or infrared or ultraviolet. Right, so how do we see that? How do you make it visible to us? We, the the scientists, and we take and... Our third. You're the manager. <laughs> You're the manager. Uh, I want to see the manager on this. I want to see the manager. I want to see your manager, manager. <laughs> Take me to your no, leader. For real, I want to know. We we essentially decide how it looks. You get a sense of how it looks from the instrument, and then you decide how you want that to look, and that relates to how we see things as humans. So it's it's always a judgment call. So you're converting invisible light into light that we can see, but then you have to be honest and say, you actually can't see this. This is what it would look like if you could see in those bands of light, correct? Exactly, yes. Like okay. when they tell you this is how a dog sees things. You don't really know that. <laughs> I guess not, but you can study. Yeah, but, but somebody has to decide wh- what would it Somebody's look make like that on the uh, scientific data that they have. Somebody's so got to make that judgment. Exactly. Exactly. Then you need to make a dog hearing simulator or a dog seeing simulator. Right, which is essentially... That's essentially what you've done, Brian. Yes. You've made a simulator that allows us to see in bands of light we cannot. Correct. And so what's your favorite data set in a band we can't see? Well, I love the W map. The W map. So this is of the microwave microwave radiation. Of the the entire universe. The baby picture of the universe. Of the universe, born. The light cast forth. 13.4 billion years ago. So you just digging it. So the Big Bang picture, like when there was when God said, let there be light. Baby picture. You're like what it looks like when it turned it on? Well, it's as far back as we can see. I know. I'm with a room full of scientists. Oh, God. Oh, what does that mean? We've got to take a quick break. More on the science of light when we come back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, 
positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. We're back. Let me reintroduce my guests. Michael Benson, journalist, photographer, uh, space geek, all the way. And I, not a, a month goes by where I don't read one of your op-eds or editorials criticizing NASA and the nation's priorities. Maybe we'll get back to that a little later. Wow, and, uh, there is some weird tension with you guys. <laughs> uh, Brian Abbott, manager of the Digital Universe at the Hayden Planetarium. Thanks for being on Star Talk. And, of course, my inaugural co-host, Lynn Coplitz. <laughs> There's weird tension between you two. <laughs> the the light of your life. Well, yes. Second light. So we, we are here talking about uh, Let There Be Light, the light of the universe and how it's created, what it's all about. Let me just sort of reset some of the physics of what's going on here. Uh, I have some questions. Sure, sure. So light is energy. It's a, it's a form of energy. There are a lot of kinds of energy. There's kinetic energy of, of motion. There's potential energy. You get that in, in, in where you are in the universe. Or you can have chemical potential energy. That's the energy that shows up when a bomb explodes. But in the universe, light is a form of energy. And we call it electromagnetic energy. And that's from the Big Bang? Yeah. So at the, at the Big Bang, you have all of this energy in a very small volume. And it is so hot. It is so energetic that matter is forming out of the energy according to equals mc squared and the matter that's according to the bible god just says let there be light <laughs> okay. and then the light turned on but oh, you're saying yes i'm saying something different together. from that okay. I, I am indeed saying something different from what you read in genesis yes so what we have here is this soup it's a matter antimatter energy soup and then as it expanded and cooled all the matter and antimatter particles collided with each other and annihilated and created light, except some, some matter was left over out of this. One out of a hundred million particles was left over, and that is the matter that you and I are made of. And all the other matter-antimatter collisions created the light of the universe, now visible as microwaves. At the distant, most distant um, uh, regions of the universe, we call it the famous microwave background, the baby picture of the Big Bang. And so this is light. It all travels at, of course, the speed of light, which in miles per second, 186,282 miles per second. And if you want to get really geeky at home, yeah. uh, one, one nanosecond, that's a billionth of a second, light travels one foot. So if you're standing a foot away from someone, you can say, I see you not as you are, but as you once were a billionth of a second ago. So if you were going to time travel, yeah. would that be the speed of light like in Back to the Future? Uh, well, 
Will it be exactly? Yeah. I like my really serious <laughs> question. Look at all of our science, really, all of our really smart people in the room. We're like, well, who is this hooker and why is she yeah, in Yeah, it's here? exactly like that minus the flux capacitor. Yes. we No, yeah. so telescopes are kind of like time travelers because as you see far out in space, you see far back in time. You, I see you as you once were, like I said, two billionths of a second ago. You're two feet away younger? from me. Uh, you, you are younger as I see you than you are at that moment that I see you. I yes. You just said that. <laughs> the moon, the moon is uh, like a little more than a second, light second away. The sun, 500 light seconds away. We have galaxies. Here's a cool one. We have galaxies that are 65 million light years away, which means if they had a powerful telescope, they could look to Earth and they can see the dinosaurs going extinct. As it's happening, oh. as it's unfolding, you blow my mind. they would need super duper telescopes for Can that. Can we go back to something simple for a second? What's that? Because let's break it all down for me. Okay. Yeah. Um, first of all, like you said, light and energy. Is that why we can see lightning? Well, light. Well, so yeah. So lightning is a lot of energy in a small sp- spot, which rapidly expands the air and it creates a, creates basically a shockwave. So you hear the thunder, and it's ah. very it, yeah. It, it rapidly expands the air, and that cre- it's a shockwave. Okay, and so that that's why you hear it, and of course you hear it later than you see it. But it is very high temperature, and when you bring anything to high temperature, it glows. You see the sun because it is at a high temperature; it glows. You heat anything to high enough temperature, it will glow. Period. Whether or not it's a gas, solid, it'll it'll yes, it'll it'll it glow. That's correct. How interesting. And there and there's a guy from the 19th century who put together all our current understanding of the behavior of light, and he's, he's called Maxwell, James Clerk Maxwell, and they're called Maxwell's equations. One of the most beautiful set of equations there are in all of physics. Have you ever heard of Maxwell? <laughs> no. You know the only Maxwell <laughs> I know checking. is the coffee guy. <laughs> I'm just checking. I, and in fact, I don't know if it's the same guy. Probably not, though. Did I, he, my guess. Who discovered X-rays? Who discovered X-rays? Wilhelm Röntgen. In fact, in Germany, they're not called X-rays; they're called Röntgen rays. Yeah, so they, they still. Rays? I don't know if I'm pronouncing Is that any who Germans I get to out there. Thank for my mammogram. <laughs> uh, yeah, basically Wilhelm Röntgen, and was actually discovered quite by accident. He was working with sort of high energy emissions from tubes, and his hand happened to be in the way of a photographic plate and he developed a plate and saw his bones on that oh, photographic creepy. it's completely creepy i would have freaked out if that had happened and so then he did it again <laughs> not knowing that this is the kind of thing you things you die from you know t- too much exposure to x-ray you've been in the x-ray room and what does the x-ray technician do right before they flick this they all leave they leave close the door shut the door that's what they do. The CAT scan's the worst. They go to like down the hall <laughs> and talk to you through a thing. They're like, are you okay? No, I'm not okay. I'm alone in obviously what's a really frightening room. Well, what so about- these are just bands of light that actually are in our everyday lives. So your cell phone uses why microwaves. Are those, why are, tell me this. I try, and, and now I've got all of you here in this little light summit meeting. I want to know... When, like, I, I travel all the time when I'm on the road, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be doing it this week. Wednesday, I'll be at the Orlando Improv. <laughs> okay. um, but anyway, my question is this. Um, and for those who are listening on Time Delay iTunes podcast, which I Wednesday was that? Yeah, that Wednesday's yeah, like a month in the June, past by then. Okay. Somewhere in June. <laughs> Whatever. Just go, go online and look for it. But um, <laughs> the Orlando Improv. <laughs> it's a light delay. Um, but here's my question. Uh, they're making me now at the airport walk through those body scan things. Yeah, that's where they, someone else sees you naked, and the person that sends you through doesn't see it. Yeah, they try to split the person who knows who you are from the person who sees yeah, you your know, body parts. I don't parts. care about people seeing me naked. That <laughs> is enough of that. If someone wants to see, by all means, they can take okay. a look. But I'm more concerned. Like, can it kill me? Like, how 
How, why does this light hurt us? I, well, I haven't formally studied that scanning process, and so I, you don't know. <laughs> that means DK in genius speak. What they what they yeah, don't know? Yeah. So they claim that it's not any more dangerous than than a plane flight that you might be taking. Your you exposure guys know? to your exposure to radiation on that, yeah, Brian. This is exactly what I've heard. That when you fly in a plane, you're actually exposed to more radiation than you would be on Earth. Right uh, on Earth's surface, because the atmosphere protects you mm-hmm. from it shields you from a lot of radiation that's coming from space. Exactly. That's right. And and notice that the doors of it are open. By the way, in your microwave oven, which also uses microwaves. By the way, I, I should have let off by saying, what's the difference from one band of light to the other? The length of the wave itself. Microwaves are about a half an inch, a third of an inch long in a little the, the little wave shape. So if you want to block microwaves, just put a screen where the mesh is smaller than that size, and the microwaves can't get out. So take a look at the door oh, of your yeah, microwave it's oven. Got that screen. It's a screen that's got holes. Why don't the microwave come through the holes? Because the length, wavelength is bigger than the holes themselves. And are you old enough to remember how people used to receive TV signals? Rabbit ear antennas? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Why are the antennas... That long. They're about a meter long, you know, about a, a yard long. That's the length of a radio wave. Radio waves are longer than microwaves. And, and you want to capture radio waves, you get a, the, the antenna has to be about that length. So walkie-talkies, which use microwaves, how big is their antenna? It's much stubbier. It's like, you know, it's like an inch. Wait, if they use microwaves, then can't that be bad for you to talk into them? Well, if you create a cavity and zap you with much greater power than what goes on in a, in a walkie-talkie, then it would boil, boil your blood, and that would be bad. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's it, not what happens otherwise. Microwaves cook things from the inside out, Yeah, right? so microwaves, what happens is the water molecule really likes microwaves. They have a deep, cozy relationship with each other, which is one of the reasons why when we try to observe the universe in microwaves, you want to get above the cloud-forming layer of Earth's atmosphere because clouds wreak havoc on microwaves. Your cell phone signal is worst during thunderstorms. And all microwave signals are corrupted in the presence of water. And we exploited that with microwave ovens because most food that you'll ever consume has water in it. And the water absorbs the microwaves. It vibrates them real fast. And it's friction that cooks your food and nothing else. And so people who think of microwave ovens as nuking the food, not. It's just the vibration of the water molecules all next to each other, vibrating ferociously, creating heat. And it's microwaves in our, in our life and in our culture. And, and microwaves, Brian, you've got microwave data sets telling us what's going on in the early universe. That's right. What kind of light is it in night when you use night vision goggles? It depends. So what the kind that you flick the switch on your camcorder, no. that one is like infrared. No, and but that's night, night mode. I'm talking my- about the kind Buffalo Bill wore in um, Silence of the Lambs. Oh, okay. So that would be like an image intensifier. So that takes yeah. the very low. Those are developed in wartime, by the way. So you can like yeah, shoot yeah. people in the dark of night. Like, like what the seals use. A lot of this is military technology. And so very, very low light situations, you can greatly magnify it electronically. So you have, it looks like it's broad daylight to you and someone else is groping in the dark. So groping? That they, Do you mean that literally? mean what literally? Groping? groping the groping. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to make an intervention here. Mike is getting here. a feel for the show. Yeah, getting a feel for the show. So, so Mike, uh, do, on any of your photos, do you, do, you, do you have a relationship with other bands of light? Or are you uh, primarily what kind of, visible? What kind of relationship do you mean? No. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going, I'm, I'm trying to stay with, with vis- visible uh, spectrum. Uh, you, so you're a visible images. guy. I'm a visible light guy. That's but, okay. But, um, but, but you I'm, realize the, the human eye sees in one octave of light, and we have detectors that see in 64. So what you're telling me now is that all of your books basically 
are demonstrations that we're actually mostly blind in the universe. Oh, but we're mostly blind in the universe anyway. I mean, you know, 99.9% of the universe is made out of stuff we don't even understand. That's and a I whole other... Believe, I can't believe I have to tell you that. Point of ignorance <laughs> going on there. Speaking of ignorance, I have another question. Oh, we have another question. We might have to save it for the third segment. Get it in okay. real quick. Go. No, I, w- I want to ask about photosynthesis. Oh, cool. Yes, we can so go there. We've got to take a quick break, but more Star Talk when we return. This is Star Talk Radio. Welcome back. Today's subject, let there be light. I've got Michael Benson, author and journalist. I've got Brian Abbott, manager of the digital universe at the Hayden Planetarium. And of course, the light of Star Talk, Lynn Coplitz herself. Hello. Lynn, you had a question just before the break. What was that? I did, but I have to tell our guests that Neil tells me there are no stupid questions, although sometimes I feel uncomfortable because I do feel like there are things I should have listened to in uh, science class. Let me just say, you asked the best stupid questions there okay, ever thank were. thank you. Okay. okay. If that's how you have to feel about Having it. Having preempted that, mm-hmm. I will say, I've now, I, I never used to be able to like let plants live in my care, and I've just started raising some little plants, and I've given them all names, which is kind of weird, but I'm 43 and You've named single. your plants. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so I put them on the fire escape, and they're doing quite well. But I've noticed, because I've been home, I haven't been on the road for a month or so, and I've been able to watch them. That You know, I know that photosynthesis is what it is, right? Yeah, they, they like light. Yes, they, like they light. need light. But some of them, like Steve... He's foliage. He leans toward the light. Steve leans. But what I thought it was Steve just Steve is the sunlight. name of one of your plants. Yes, but here, I thought it was just Steve is, he's, he's very cute. But Steve <laughs> leans towards the light, but I thought it was just sunlight. But I bring him in at night. A- any light that, it, so to actually. So any, any light. Well, and the pansies open up at night when I turn the little light on at night. So you're messing with their biorhythms. Well, that's my question. Am I, am I screwing them up? You're complete- is Panzer the name of a plant or is that the type of oh, plant? their name's Panzel, Michael. Oh, okay. Well, I should have <laughs> known. Why would you name Duh. them Pansy? They are pansies. Duh. So, you like me calling you man-man. <laughs> most people think that plants like light, but in fact, it's the light that's inhibiting the growth of the plant on the side of the plant that faces the light, allowing the far side of the plant to outgrow the side of the plant that's nearest the light. And so we then say, oh, it's leaning towards the light. In fact, the light is inhibiting the growth of the plant on that side. Oh, no, I'm yeah. stunting their growth. <laughs> no. well, this actually, is why I can't have children. <laughs> because I don't know how to take care of them. I don't it. see that connection. I'm sorry. Because I could stunt their growth. Yeah, because you have to do more than just water the children. Yes. <laughs> but here's my... Well, you have to do more than just water a plant. Here's yeah. my question. So when yeah. it's leaning, then why does it say to plant things in direct sunlight? Uh, there's some plants that prefer direct sunlight rather than diffuse sunlight or indirect sunlight. So it just depends on how the plant evolves. So if I don't have sunlight, can I just put them in a pot and put a regular light on them? Uh, if you want a light that's close to the spectrum of the sun, and you can buy sun lamps. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But you could you can completely you don't even need the out, outdoor sun. Just go for it. Interesting. Yeah, just put in a light that you don't want a regular incandescent bulb. It's not blue enough for what the plant. What would happens to people on. if they never if they never have any sunlight? Uh, vitamin D? What is, which, what's the vitamin you're supposed to take in the winter? Vitamin D, yeah. Yeah, so you don't get vitamin D. You don't produce vitamin D. Yeah, if you have light skin, yes, that's a, that's a rule. So what happens to you? Well, like, you, can you get, die from not getting any you light? You get scurvy. Yeah, you, well, no, scurvy is vitamin C. You okay, get but vitamin I'm straight. You know, <laughs> improvising. Are you like powder? I, well, so, so, yeah, so you need, the sun helps you, the body produce vitamin D. That's correct. 
But what happens if you don't have vitamin D? What happens to you? Your bones weaken. Really? Yeah, and if you get depressed and if you're developing, then you 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 get rickets. I think and I you, have you that. You look like the cowboy with the bowed legs. Okay. But let's get back to the universe, if we may. Please. Just let's let's understand how this works. So we have objects in the universe that emit light, and the visible part that's easy to understand because our eyes see visible light. Many really cool things in the universe don't know anything about visible light, and they're trying to talk to us in bands of light we cannot see. And it's a triumph of 20th century astrophysics that we've been able to build specialized telescopes with detectors that can reveal the universe and all these bands of light, ultraviolet, X-rays, gamma rays, radio waves, all these bands of the electromagnetic spectrum that tell us what the universe is actually doing because we are practically blind. Who came up with black light? Black light, that's just ultraviolet light. And the part of the ultraviolet light, you, the part of the black light you see is just violet. But it's really doing its job in the part of the spectrum you can't see, the ultraviolet. And bug zappers? Oh, that's right, because the ultraviolet, that's right, because black light, you can see all the lint and all the dust. Yeah, well, so yeah, so that's the ultraviolet sort of make, rendering that aglow. So, you, Is you that know, what you used to find DNA on things like the crime scene people use? Uh, the crime scene people will use ultraviolet light to see different things that are, might be left on your sheets, yes. Interesting. <laughs> and a quick thing about bug zappers, did you know? that bug zappers are violet, basically, because bugs just love violet light. They come out in the early evening where the sky has a higher fraction of the total light represented in ultraviolet. And so you simulate the twilight sky with a bug zapper, and the bug says, I'm flying to the light, and it just gets zapped. Oh, and, and it's great. <laughs> it's evidence that we're smarter than bugs, that, that we can exploit the fact that they are sensitive to ultraviolet light, even though we're not. i got to bring in our third guest here. This guy, there's, there's no one like him in the universe, last I checked. Carter Emmert. Carter, you are, you are Director of Astrovisualization of the Rose Center for Earth and Space. Welcome to Star Talk Radio. And you just gave a presentation at the World Science Festival last night bringing the universe to the public as never before. You were are, you are born an artist with deep interest in the cosmos. You became um, a computer literate, and you transitioned what used to be canvas and paint for planetarium shows into the 21st century. So welcome to Star Talk Radio. And tell us what you did last night. Thanks a lot, Neil. Yeah, actually, uh, at the Hayden, we had a program that was looking at, started off with a 60s uh, era uh, light show from the Joshua Light Show, and then we went in. 60s era had lasers and stuff, right? Well, no, it was pre-laser, pre-laser yeah, light so show. The, okay. This is uh, and the Joshua Light Show actually backed up uh, Jimi Hendrix and, and other bands. So were, were people cool. getting high in the in the dome? At the uh, time? Well, uh, ten minutes of that, and then um, <laughs> basically I I took us um, uh, in a, a piece where we we leave we go from the Earth on out. Uh, to the cosmic microwave background. So we you go zoom, back zoom. in time. A powers of 10 kind of zoom. Yes, we do. And then we actually travel all the way back to Earth and through the atmosphere and down to the town of Norshipping, Sweden, where I actually directed this film last year. And we fly all the way down uh, to quarks in a carbon nucleus. So these are Swedish quarks, apparently. Uh, yes, in that case. It's <laughs> <laughs> in a strand so, of DNA. So, tell, so as, you, as you zoom out, there, there'll be some familiar things. We'll see Earth from a distance, at, right. like the Apollo images. But rapidly, those images would become unfamiliar because you're, you're zooming through a three-dimensional space that telescopes can't provide. Yes, but it's a, it's a data map, uh, thanks to uh, my work with Brian. Uh, Brian taking data sets, academic data sets, catalogs of, of various objects of, uh, that we see and we observe with light. And their signature from the light gives us distance information. We're able to plot that. 
And in three really, dimensions. In three dimensions. A revolution in planetariums really occurred from that of showing the sky to now showing space three-dimensionally. Three, and, and so, yeah, Lynn? I just have a question because, I, I, you know, we're talking about the universe. It's just so humongous. The idea of, like, you creating a show, a light show that represents certain parts. Like, how do you decide exactly what you want the show to be? Like, it's hard enough, like, when you're putting together a musical or well, something, how do you decide what parts of the universe well, are interesting and how you're going to use them? Or another way to say that, how do you know what to not include? Exactly. That? That's what yeah. I'm trying to ask. The, the idea of the digital universe is to include everything. and um, That's the, a cop-out I mean, it's the right answer, but, but you choose a pathway to yeah. take the visitor on it. Yes, and so you're invoking an artistic eye to this. We were, we were, use, we're also, yes, and design and movement uh, is a big part of it. And that's, uh, that goes to the heart of what our space shows are and, and how we create them and how, and how to display the data. Because um, a, sci- a, a pure scientist wouldn't necessarily know the best way to look at their own data, right? And, um, and you have an artistic eye for this. Well, and, and also it's, it's, a, it's a matter of putting the pieces together. If you look at any one data set, say stars, that, that'll be very interesting to the people that study the stars. But to put that in coordination to our solar system or the galaxy at large that those stars are part of is our job. So now you get the whole sweep of the universe. That's, that's right. So that's land right. is the whole freaking universe. So <laughs> also, I, I should say that the, 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 that the program last night, after bringing us back down in light, essentially um, from the most ancient light we can see, which is the cosmic microwave background. In microwaves, yes. Because as we look farther out, we're looking farther back into the past. That, that um, as we, we come down, we, we then hand it over to Joy Hirsch, who's the director of the uh, Columbia Brain Lab. And uh, she talked about, really, the difference between photons and essentially the light of, in our mind and a sense of understanding. And so that mind, so we're really trying to address this issue of the universe around us and the universe that we know in our brains. So you you try so you went from out the outer universe to the inner the universe of our inner mind. Correct. You know what that reminds me of when I used to when I was in college I I took a lot of drawing I was like a, a art minor and I remember my one of our our teachers telling us to squint our eyes. Because we, what we thought we were seeing and what we were seeing were different things. And he said, if you, if you squint your eyes and you just draw the shadows and, and draw, you know, the shadows and the light. And then it was so weird because you look up and, and all of a sudden you have a whole image. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it, it's what you were really seeing. Yeah, so Brian, how do we know, I mean, how do you distinguish, I mean, uh, both of you, Brian uh, and Carter. Uh, Carter. So there's what is and there's what our perception is. And how do you make the two work to get the be- the most effective show? Well, you know, when we look up and we see stars, we we can sort of have a sense that they're different distances. But to really see the layout and and the distances, or say where the planets fall in this, because look at, look up in the night sky tonight, and you'll see one of those bright stars, so to speak, is Saturn. It's Saturn and in it's, the so evening it's a sky. It's yeah. Beautiful sight tonight. And we were showing that with the World Science Festival uh, just on Friday night, which was wonderful. And people always right look under the Brooklyn through. Bridge. That yes, was a beautiful setting. Yeah, look at if people don't know this time of year, every year in New York City, there's the World Science Festival, and some of the greatest scientists in the nation and in the world yeah. descend on New York and bring science to the public in many but, different venues, one of which was the Hayden Planetarium last night. We've got to take a quick break, but more Star Trek when we return.
This is Star Talk Radio. Welcome back. Uh, Brian Abbott, m- manager of the digital universe, you had some comment just before the break about the difference between what a sci- how a scientist views data and how you guys make it alive. Yeah, like, what, what struck me when I started working on this project is that scientists see their data not only as a 2D graph, uh, but also they only see their data. They don't see it in the bigger picture, the bigger context of where that fits in the universe. So they're visually... 2D is in two dimensional, right? Two, yeah, of course. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is 2D. <laughs> so they, they have a Sorry, it's not 2D, 2D fruity. 2D, yes, two 2D. dimensions, yes. yes. So it's it's a really boring way to look at the data, and you might miss the bigger picture. Yes. And so, Carter, you make the big picture is what you right. do. The, the scientists understand the bigger picture, and that's their job. And it's our job to, you know, again, create that continuous experience from Earth all the way out. One of the most moving moments in this journey is when we pass by the radio bubble. Tell, tell us real quick about so, that. So, yeah, if, if you actually look out into the stars, you can say, okay, on the different distances. But uh, if you stand away from the Earth, let's stand away from the Earth about 100 light years, you would look back and you'd see a sphere about 70 light years in radius. That's if you had radio-sensitive eyes, you'd see a well, sphere. Uh, no, you'd have to actually be detecting it and be, and be at the sphere. At the sphere, okay. But what we do is we, we draw a graphic of a sphere, and that indicates how far radio signals have traveled since the Earth became radio bright. You had Tesla and Marconi and early radio that bounced around inside the ionosphere. So it's not when Earth became radio bright. It's when human beings on Earth became radio emitters. Right? Yeah, that's right. With and their apparatus. With, yes, with, with radars and television carrier waves. And so you can see that moving out. So if you parked next to Arcturus tonight, which is up in our sky... You would Lynn, be. Plan to do that. Yeah, you would yeah. be hearing for. You would be hearing uh, radio broadcasts or TV from forty years ago. Yeah. See, I have that question. If there's all this stuff that we can't see, all these waves and 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 light waves and things penetrating your body right now. Then don't they all bump into each other? When is there too much, and what happens? Yeah. No. Radio, the, the good interesting thing about right example. is they can interfere. But they, can, they only interfere if they're sort of coherent. So a laser, you can make lasers interfere and you get like what's called fringe patterns. Oh, before we leave, I have to know. Are there lightsabers? Oh, you mean in like in life? Star Wars? Yeah. No. Okay. So oh. now. <laughs> so, he told me to wait and ask on the air. No, no. Here's the thing. No, you can make a, you can make a beam of light that would be visible, such oh, as like, lightsabers. Like your light beam How thing that you use to point. Ever, and I even or... tweeted this a few weeks ago, lightsabers would not hit each other they would just pass right through one another and they wouldn't have these sword fights the way they would show it they would just pass through one another what kind of light is lasers made out of like uh it's it's a visible light you can make you can make other kinds of laser light but the ones we're most familiar with are are visible the 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 radio sphere sort of sets us up in a sense that if you go away from the earth far enough you're going far enough back in time everything we see you know a star twice the distance away is twice as far in the past, essentially. So if you look far enough, you're actually seeing the cooling off of the universe or the transition between when it was a plasma and opaque to where it became clear space. And that's the microwave background that so we see. So you not only so show us the radio bubble yeah. that we created that's now about oh, 100 light cool. years right. out. And all of our civilization, as yeah. we've communicated it through each other, that's has right. leaked into space and is contained within this bubble. So you that's show right. like if God but, were to look at it. Yeah, but, but uh, those, are, Carter, yes. those, those are those are waves <laughs> moving out, our radiosphere. Mm-hmm. But the stuff that's coming to us is essentially, you, you can imagine a sphere, very large, um, that's a microwave background. And everything that we can observe is contained within it. And it's centered on us. But that's just because it's us observing it. If you right. moved anywhere else, you'd also see a sphere it around you. It would be feel like you're in the center of that. So now we're so in So Carter an, creates like accurate art. 
Yes, yes, and that is the hallmark of the twenty first century. Pictures from data. So, That's exa- and yeah. like the as the he gave the analogy a moment ago with the dioramas, something that the American Museum of Natural History pioneered a hundred years ago, where you create you, it's not just an animal stuffed on a on a pedestal. You put it in an environment that transports you to that local to, to, to that That's to that so location. Cool. Yeah. So now we're we're in an expanding universe, and this microwave light. And all the light of the universe is getting diluted in space, and its energy is dropping. And so the universe, I don't know if you knew this, is approaching. uh, The universe will not end in fire. It will end in ice, not with a bang, but with a whimper. And all that movie. (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, it's it's a poem. You know, it's a T.S. Eliot poem as well. So they call it a heat death, but it's really a cold death. How do you equate that with global warming, Neil? Yeah. So. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, does that mean that you don't believe in global warming? Earth Neil? is insignificantly <laughs> small compared to the scale of the universe on which I'm referring. Ah. And so, so the temperature of the universe of this cosmic microwave background, you can actually stick a thermometer in it and get a reading. It's about three degrees absolute, uh, absolute temperature, three degrees above absolute zero. So, and we're about 14 billion years old. When we're 28 billion years old, we'll be one and a half degrees. And it'll scale right on down until we asymptotically approach zero. And the day will really come. Really asymptotically? The yeah, well, as we, you approach it without ever actually hitting it. As, as, oh, asymptot- okay. You get closer and closer without yeah, touching Everyone just looked at you like they knew what you were talking about. <laughs> I'm like, asymptotically? <laughs> asymptotically. It's, you learn that in, in Algebra 2 and Trigonometry. Oh, okay. From, in high school. Yeah. So, Skipped it. So all I'm saying is that so the, universe, the temperature of the universe will continue to thin out and get cooler and cooler and cooler. Stars, Is that bad? Star, well, yeah, I think so. Yeah, Sounds stars. Bad. Stars will eventually run out of their fuel. They will Aww. die. Even the clouds, they'll make whatever stars they can, and then they'll die out. And then all matter will be left. Uh, will be will be left in the in the remnants. The dead, cold remnants of stars that once were. The universe sounds feminine. It sounds like women. Like you have to work really hard, and then the Earth is just men. Well, once these around. energy sources run out, the stars will turn off one by one. The galaxies oh. will shut off, and the universe will turn dark for the remainder of eternity. Brian, you, you how can you say anything after what I just said? Downer. <laughs> Well, it's fascinating that future astrophysicists will not know anything about cosmology because they will not see any of the galaxies out past our local globe. Oh, because we're, we will expand so fast that our galaxies will expand beyond but, the horizon. But, that, but that's not true because if you look far enough away, you will see some of that radiation coming toward you. Well, it's well. It, yeah, I we, we uh, well, well, by then, another show. By then, <laughs> by then we're going to have you know faster than light travel, uh, and we'll have sources. Of, we'll be able to make our own stars, and we'll be able to zap. And Michael Benson's been reading yeah. tons of science fiction. Yeah, lately. of course. Yes. You know, I mean, come on. That's all the time we have. This has been Star Talk Radio. I want to thank my guests, and as always, I bid you to keep looking up.